0: You ever had anything unexpected happen to you? Like maybe this week, maybe this week. Let me just share something that is dear to my heart just between us as friends. Months ago, I said something about the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, said something about me being very holy and that if I prayed for it, it would happen. I predicted a World Series win. And I expected it would all turn out just as I thought. You know, I mean, am I not the pastor? Do I not have a direct line to God? Hello. So I just thought all that would go as, as you know, as I expected. And then we get into the postseason, and it did not go as expected. You know what happened. You know what happened. Satan got in the way, right? Spiritual warfare. No, matter, no, matter, no, no amount of fasting and prayer could undo it. Sometimes evil wins. And that's the way it played out in the, in the post-season. This is just us, just us as friends, just having an intimate conversation. But it was not expected. I expected big things. And many of you did as well. Many of you blamed me for their loss. <sighs> Again, spiritual warfare. Again, spiritual warfare. That's what that is. Okay, but on the serious side, unexpected things can really throw us off. And so today I want to just take a journey into the next section of the Gospel of Mark and I want to sit with the unexpected. That's really where I want to go. So we can use the Braves as a fun illustration to get us really to what I want to talk about and that is the unexpected in this passage of the Gospel of Mark. And so I want you to come with me for the next few minutes into this passage and I hope that we walk away really understanding how unexpected the Christmas story really is, and then really who Jesus might be in your life. So let's take that journey. Mark chapter 8, we're picking up with verse 22. We'll go all the way to verse 30. Mark 8, 22 through 30. We're reading in the New, Interna- New International Version here. Here's what Mark writes They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and when his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. We'll go to the next verse here. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and so others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, interesting that as we step into the passage, that we could have taken this passage and split it into two. You have here a miracle, this healing. Last week we noted that we had, we, we saw what we said was the third in a string of three miracles. And we said that was significant. We tried to pull some application out of all of that. So here you have another miracle on the heels of that third in the string of three. So why not call it the fourth in a string of four? Because Mark here puts this miracle right up against the second part of our passage, this declaration of Jesus as Messiah. These two actually go together. Mark has formed this to say something to us. Now, I could take the next few minutes to try to explain all that, or again, just read you a few sentences from a scholar that makes it very clear what Mark's doing here. So take a look at what one scholar says about putting together the miracle of the healing of sight with this declaration of jesus as messiah here's what this one scholar says mark has put together the story of the blind man receiving a sight and of the blind disciples gaining their insight in order of course to highlight what's going on in the second story by means of the parallel with the first jesus takes the blind man away from the village he takes the disciples away from the lake and the crowds. At the end, he insists in both cases on secrecy. And in both miracles, there is clear sight. So in one case, the blind man has this journey of seeing, seeing fuzzy figures to seeing clearly. And here we see the disciples who all along have been seen with fuzzy vision. Now, Peter sees clearly in this moment where he declares Jesus as Messiah. And both of these stories are paralleling one another. And this one scholar here is even noting that even Jesus taking people away, physically away, both blind man and disciples, and at the end, secrecy and on the other story, secrecy. These stories Mark puts together to parallel to drive us to that last verse where Peter says, you are the Messiah. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has has asked a direct question about his identity to his disciples. First time. So we've gone eight chapters, and we finally get to the point where Jesus has something to say to his disciples about who he is. Interesting, Mark, who does nothing by accident, has been drawing us to this point. And he started us on this journey all the way from Mark chapter 1, verse 1. That's where Mark set the stage that this is where the story was going. Remember what Mark 1:1 says? This is how the gospel starts. Like no preface. It starts this way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. There's no Christmas story in the gospel of Mark. It launches with a declaration of Jesus as Messiah. And we said many months ago, 24 sermons ago, that we would see that Jesus as Messiah, his identity would be a theme that would roll out as the story unfolds. And sure enough, here we see it becoming clearer and clearer where we now have Peter declaring Jesus as Messiah. Now, did Peter come up with this all on his own? Like, Did he just study Jesus so well along the way that all of a sudden now he gets it? Well, if we, take, if we take ourselves into the gospel of Matthew, according to Matthew, we will see, that Peter just didn't like stumble onto this by himself. It just wasn't that Peter was so smart that all of a sudden he got it. Well, we see in that account, something else was going on in this declaration that Peter makes. So I want to kind of add some color to the story by pulling on the record of another gospel account. Take a look what Matthew records, Matthew 16. We're looking at sixteen seventeen. these verses. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So we know that Peter comes to this declaration, this insight, this clear clear sight by way of a revelation from God. It is a miracle of sorts, you might say. And then that way, it does, again, parallel the story of the blind man. The only way this guy, this blind man, was getting sight was by way of Jesus doing something. That is, something external came in and touched the man, and then he had sight. And here we see God the Father did something. He came from the outside in, did something inside of Peter, and Peter could see clearly, and then declares Jesus as the Messiah. Now... If we leave the story right there this declaration of Messiah Peter comes off looking really good but even Peter struggled with the unexpected Peter in this moment probably has some sense of now what to expect of the rest of the story he is the Messiah Jesus is Messiah therefore he will be king therefore Rome will be removed from ancient Palestine and a new Davidic king, Jesus himself, would be set up on the throne and God would rule the nations from Jerusalem. That's how this is going to work. And he will have a mighty army behind him to hold power forever and ever. Well, and that, that would be one expectation I think we all might gather from a declaration about Jesus being Messiah in that day and what they were expecting the Messiah would be. But even Peter... Even Peter had a hard time going any further into that arena of the unexpected. Because what comes right after those verses, where Peter declares Jesus Messiah, is the next part of the story. And there we see Peter having a hard time with the unexpected. Take a look at what happens next. This is what Mark records for us. He, this is Jesus, this is right after Peter has declared him Messiah, he then, Jesus then began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter declares Jesus Messiah. All of a sudden, all this imagery merges in the mind of Peter, and then Jesus comes in and, and describes a king who would suffer and die and rise again. That was in a place so unexpected, Peter couldn't go. The only thing that Jesus could, uh, Peter could do at that point was just assume that maybe Jesus didn't understand who he was and Peter needed to help him understand who he was. So let's pull him aside, let's give him some good teaching and help him understand what he's about to do when he goes to Jerusalem. And Jesus then comes, comes right there and rebukes Peter. I don't think this is a mean rebuke, I think this is a loving rebuke, but still one direct that is direct. And he explains that Peter really doesn't understand what he's saying. So even Peter, even Peter couldn't go, but only so far into the unexpected. And this really draws us to a summary point I want to bring us to, as we're seeing this play out in the story. Just, just kind of three statements. So take a look. I have hopefully, unexpectedly, right justified this slide to throw you off. Maybe you were, expect- okay, never mind. Maybe some of you who like that less justified, sinner justified. Okay, never mind. It's the artsy part of me. Fine. Let's just go. Anyone listening on the podcast has no idea what just happened. Here we go. God moves in unexpected ways. He reveals himself to unexpected people. His kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. This is a vital key to everything we see in Jesus. Jesus. That God is moving in these unexpected ways and he's showing himself to these unexpected people. And unless we forget, this is something we've been talking about together over these many weeks as we've walked with Mark. For example, back in early November, we were studying a passage in the middle of Mark chapter 7 and we stumbled into this point in that passage. Here's the point we made. A theme Mark is developing, unexpected people understood Jesus the most. And we then began to explore that. We began to explore that. And just so we can remember what we saw there and kind of take that journey quickly through the Gospel of Mark up to this point, I want you to feel how unexpected... How unexpected this gospel has been up to this point. How everything we might expect gets turned upside down along the way. Mark does it intentionally to bring us ultimately to the cross. So take a look. Just, if we just take Mark chapter 1 and just drive it to Mark 7, take a look at all the unexpe- unexpected people that actually understand and declare Jesus. This is what we see. A man with leprosy. A man with leprosy said, you can make me clean. A group of men carrying their paralyzed friend had faith. A man healed of demon possession told everyone about Jesus. An unclean woman with chronic bleeding had great faith. And a non-Jewish woman saw the global scope of God's kingdom and responded in faith. So take a look at all, at all the underlined here. Leprosy, a group of men, they got a paralyzed friend, demon-possessed, unclean, non-Jewish woman these are all people who would sit on the outside of power these are the people that had no access to privilege or security who knows what this paralyzed this paralyzed friend had done in his lifetime and if he was a good guy or not and maybe those friends were they good not good we don't know they're not even named the guy with leprosy this guy has a skin disease this is, this is a guy no one wants to hang out with. A non-Jewish woman? You're, you're now scraping the bottom of the barrel. And yet, all along the way, these are the people that see Jesus clearly. Yet those that were in power, those that held influence financially, socially, religiously, these are the people we'd be voting for. These are the people we'd be listening to. These are the people we'd be learning from. These are the people we would respect. All along the way, they're the ones trying to remove Jesus. They get into conflicts with Jesus. They try to stop Jesus. They misunderstand Jesus. And they oppress all these other people. And so everything's getting turned upside down in the Gospel of Mark. And even here, at that moment where Peter declares the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus then takes them one step further in what that will look like, and he teaches them one of the most unexpected things they could have ever heard. That the king, the king, the king, when he goes into his inauguration, it wouldn't be a ball, it wouldn't be a grand party flowing with wine and rich foods. It wouldn't be a banquet, of, a banquet table full of, of meat and vegetables. It wouldn't be a room full of the most powerful people. This, this is not what the inauguration ball would look like. It would be a crucifixion. Can you imagine what would happen if we inaugurated our presidents by crucifying them? Literally. Now, I understand that depending on where you are in the political spectrum, that may actually start to feel literal. That's not what I mean. But can you imagine if we beat and dragged a president through, president elect through the streets as a way of coronating them, a way of inaugurating them? That makes no sense. That just sounds silly. Yet here Jesus says, I'm the kind of Messiah, I am the, a king that will suffer, be beaten, and die. Then I'll come back to life. I don't know that it gets any more unexpected than that. That came as a shock. That came as a shock to Peter and the rest of the disciples. So take a summary here. Take a summary of where, where this, where this kind of lands us on the ground. It would be this. Throughout his gospel account, Mark has been highlighting the unexpected nature of the kingdom of God. That's what we're seeing. And now it's going to take us all the way to the cross, so we're not done with this theme. But this theme, this theme of the unexpected, it was woven into the beginning of the story. If we take this and we kind of try to see what Christmas, how Christmas might look different in light of all this. So if we, we, we kind of take a transition into that Christmas edition of the Gospel of Mark, just consider how unexpected the Christmas story really was. I think of two stories. Two stories come to mind. I think about the announcement to Mary. I think about the announcement to the shepherds. Luke writes both of those accounts, and he writes them in such a way that we would see the unexpected. Take a look. Luke chapter 1. Let's look at the first one, the announcement to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Just would you sit with that real quick before we go on? That's a nowhere town. That's a nowhere town. That's in the middle of nowhere. That's not New York City. That's not Los Angeles. That's not Philadelphia. That's not a center of power and influence. It's in the middle of nowhere. Let's continue, verse 27, Luke 1. He came to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Before we go on to those next verses, this Mary has no no substantial lineage that Luke wants to tell us about. She is just Mary. She's a young girl, engaged, and all of a sudden, she is favored. When I think of God favoring people, I think of really influential people. I think of people with power, money, resources. And yet Jesus comes to a teenage girl in the middle of nowhere. That should shock us. That should shock us. Keep reading, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be bor- to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. If I'm hearing a message like that, I have a million questions. And at the end of my million questions, I'm not even sure that I'm going along with the agenda, because this makes no sense. It's that unexpected. Yet Mary, this teenage girl from nowhere that has no influence, privilege, or power, no military might behind her, says, I'm in. May it be as you've said. And this announcement directly affects her body and social world, particularly with Joseph. From the beginning, the story, the story of the kingdom of God on earth starts with the unexpected. It's woven into the Christmas season. Then take the announcement to the shepherds. Take the announcement to the shepherds. So here's here's who's gonna first hear about all this. Let's go to Luke chapter two, and we read, starting verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. Stop. And remember, they're shepherds. They're just ordinary people doing their job. They're not significant. They have no power or privilege. They don't have major access to centers of power. They're shepherds. Keep reading, verse nine. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. We'll just end here, verse 15. Let's get, yeah, there we go. When the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Hmm. This was not some generic message that was going to go to all the world. This was a message that was brought to a particular people, these shepherds, because these shepherds would themselves in their body go and see this child who had been born. This is a God who comes to unexpected people. Would you believe if I told you God would deliver the world by coming to a teenage girl's to somewhere in another part of the world that you don't even know about. I don't know if that we'd go along with that. I'm pretty sure if God's going to do something, He's going to do it in America, and He's going to do it probably with someone I know, because I know a lot of cool people. So surely it would be someone I know or someone I'd expect. That's kind of how I think. Like God's going to do it the way I would expect. And yet here God is showing up in unexpected ways. It's woven into the Christmas story. And I want us to understand that, that it's not out of nowhere that we're seeing the kingdom of God flip everything upside down. Jesus, Jesus should shock us. That's what I would expect after thinking about it this way. So let's take some application. Let's take all that, move it to application. Let's let us let it do something in your life. So how in the world do we take all of that and get it to your place? Your seat in your pew or somewhere in the balcony in your chair. Here's, here's where I want to start. I think we've got to start with this question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? If you're like me, that seems rhetorical, so you're like, let's move on to the next slide. I get it. But what would happen if you verbalized? Like you put words, you, you painted some words around that question as an answer. Like what, what kind of painting would emerge if you took words and described who you think Jesus is. I think it's still a relevant question. And I would guess that if we all had to answer that question out loud, put it into words, we may all have nuances to who we say Jesus is. And that's not a bad thing, but I think it's a question we got to ask, is who do we say Jesus is? Now, the danger with that question, the danger with that question, or at least the danger with the answer of that question, is that you might answer that question. You might answer that question and not be surprised by your answer. You might have Jesus so figured out that he doesn't surprise you anymore. There's danger. There's danger when you are no longer surprised by Jesus. Take take a look. Take a look. This is the next slide here. So this is where I want to drive us to. Does Jesus surprise you anymore? And is there anything about Jesus that shocks you. Anything about Jesus that shocks you. Just think about that. Think about if there's anything about Jesus that would shock you. You see, I I think sometimes we get so comfortable with Jesus, we get so comfortable because the Jesus we believe in is more an idol than it is Jesus, the Messiah, King of the world. Let me just let let you sit with that, because I just said that it is possible that Jesus you believe in is more an idol than it is the real Messiah, King of Israel, now King of the world. Jesus can easily begin to fit into a comfortable box that never challenges us. See, the Jesus in the Scriptures, the Jesus that we read about in the gospel says things like love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do you like that? I don't like that. And we're about to move into a very intense political season. It's a lot easier to throw up some Facebook posts that are negative, somewhat challenging the person I don't like, than it is to love my political enemy. I would much rather throw a really witty thing out there in social media feeling really good about myself than praying for and loving my enemy. I mean, do I really, do I really care for people that aren't like me? I mean, if I'm honest, that's a, bit, that's a challenge. And so time and time again, as I've been walking with Jesus so closely through the Gospel of Mark, time and time again, I'm looking at Jesus saying, what in the world? This doesn't make sense to me. Would you touch someone that was unclean, that you didn't like? I wouldn't. I stay away from people I don't like. And I definitely don't touch people that I think are unclean. And yet we have Jesus walking among people that are both unclean and probably mean at times. What in the world? What kind of king is this? This is a king who tells people to be secret, don't promote me yet. I'm all about promotion. Kings need to be promoted. What in the world? What kind of king is this? A king who offers forgiveness? I'm not handing out forgiveness not that quick. Especially if you've hurt me. Why would I ever forgive? What kind of king are we talking about? So what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see, and I want to get us to a place, I want to get us to a place Where Jesus shocks you. Where you get to the point where you say, I don't know know that I can agree with that. Because he's rubbing up against your unexpected so much. When's the last time Jesus has surprised you? And if you say, not lately, then you really need to take a look at who you say Jesus is. Because Jesus should continue to surprise us. Now, one day he won't surprise us. We'll be so linked in with Jesus and who he is because we've become like him that he will no longer surprise us because we will be reigning with him. But here, while we still have a lot of that sin embedded in our muscle memory, oh, he should surprise us and surprise us often. So really think about that. Really think about that. So let me give you a next step. Here's a next step that we can all take. We've kind of been taking it, but let me give you this challenge as we move into this season of Christmas, This kind of this last week of Christmas. Pick a gospel, read some of it, and let Jesus surprise you. Let Jesus surprise you. You know, some of you need to pick up a different translation of the Bible and read it so it can shock you a little bit. Some of you need to imagine that you're in the story that you're reading, some of you need to put the story that you will read in the gospel this week and put it in modern times. For example, what if Jesus was born on the south side of Chicago in a welfare home? What would you say to that? Would that that shock us? That wouldn't be where Jesus would be born. Well, maybe it would be. Maybe it's exactly where he would be born in the United States. Somewhere somewhere on the lower rung of society, right? Where there's a lot of crime. That might be exactly where Jesus would be born. These are the kind of things I'm talking about. Get into a gospel. Just read some of it. I'm not suggesting you read all of it. And then let Jesus surprise you. And when that happens, the kingdom of God begins to overtake your kingdom. And there you will find life. And that'll be a really good thing. That'll be a really good thing. That's where our stories are going anyway. That's why we want to be training in that direction, especially this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Father, we are going to ask you to help us move in this direction, that you would take our kingdoms and the kingdoms of this world and continue to turn them upside down. Where we have unforgiveness, move us to forgiveness. Where we have control and domination, move us to gentleness and meekness. Where we have hurtful, cutting words, move us to a place where we have kind words, uplifting ones. And where we have hatred, move us to love. Would you surprise us in these next several days that Jesus may shock our system as the kingdom of God becomes more and more a part of our kingdom. We look forward to the day where we reign with you, where we are transformed into the glory of Jesus. And so we give you honor, we give you praise, and we thank you that you came to us, God with us, through Jesus the Messiah. This is really good news this Christmas. So help us as we train in that direction, all under His authority, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And together we say.